Hey guys, if you have your Bibles, you can, you can turn right now to, to the, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew uh, chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10. What we are doing, what we have been doing, is going through a series um, called The Disciple Maker, The Disciple Maker. And here's what we know, that Jesus makes disciples Jesus is the disciple maker. We are to follow him. And we've been going through uh, some big major themes of, of the book of Matthew. And Matthew has been informing us of a number of things as we have been engaging this whole issue of the disciple maker, Jesus. Chapters 1 through 4, what we have seen is uh, a bit of who Jesus is in his kingship, certainly in his authority and how he came into the world, and his own did not receive him. Even though he is in the Hebrew, Emmanuel, God with us, we see that he is the God of the universe, the one we are to praise and worship. He is the son of David. He is uh, the son of Abraham. So he is the promised one to bless the nations, and he is the coming king that was promised long ago in the scriptures. We learn all those things in chapter 1 through 4. And then as we press on through um, the themes of the book of Matthew, what we see in chapter 5, 6, and 7 is how uh, what life in his kingdom, under his kingship and rule, um, uh, looks like. And Jesus addresses not only, not merely the, um, the outward um, things that we do with our bodies and so forth. He addresses the issues of our hearts. And what we find is that sin is certainly what we do with our actions and what we think and all those things, but more significantly, it is deep issues of our fallen hearts. We see that. And so therefore, if someone um, murders outwardly, it's clearly murder, and Jesus takes it further to show us the, the issues of murder and says, you can murder someone in your heart. Look how deep the sin is. And he preaches those things. We, learn, we see those teachings um, as he goes through a number of those teachings through that section. And then in chapter 8 and 9, one of the major themes that we see is Matthew is pointing out as he lays out these different themes, these different, heal, these different miracles that Jesus does, is we see this major theme of, of follow me, of come and follow Jesus. The disciples of Jesus, the way Jesus makes these disciples is he calls them to follow him. And Matthew lays that over repeatedly throughout, in the midst, throughout the midst of the, the different miracles. And we see a number of ways in which that, that can look like or should look like in our lives. You see what Jesus does, most certainly, but he's saying, hey, follow me. Look, look, look at the compassion of Jesus. Hey, hey, look, look, you know, you need to look to him, follow him as he, he is the one, he's the word, you know. You, you should believe his very word. I mean, this is the word incarnate, man. He spoke the, the worlds into existence. And then as we move away from chapter, chapter 8 and 9, then we move into this ma- the other major theme, this issue of, and I'm just going to use a simple word, of, of Jesus sends his disciples. So not, when, not only do we, do we see who he is, and we see a little bit about his teaching, um, um, we see that he calls his disciples to follow him, and then we see that Jesus is sending them out. He's going to send them out. And if you look at the end of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 11, 
and uh, as kind of a, a unit together, that you'll see this major hint that it's sort of this one unit, um, and I'll just show you by, by reading it to you. Then he said, um, in chapter 9, verse 37, then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What an interesting, amazing thing that Jesus says. And so he, we are moving from this, uh, this section of the miraculous, the miracles taking place, to these uh, teachings that are going to happen, and he's going to call them, you see a major clue, uh, this, this sending. Um, he says, hey, pray the Lord of Harvest would send out laborers. And then there's a bit of a, a bookend in chapter 11, verse 1. It says, when Jesus had finished um, instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in, notice what he says, in their cities. Uh, now, I want to point out a couple things. One is, you know, I want to just lead by saying, look, their cities. I just think that's so fascinating. That comes up not only here, but in other areas as well. Um, because what we will see today is a, is a personal evangelistic strategy that Jesus gives his disciples. And we will know um, and maybe understand uh, how to do our personal evangelistic strategy if we understand these teachings. Now, one of the things that I just want you to see by observation, I just think it's just fascinating to me. Like, after he, 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 we see who he is, and he does these miracles, and he, and he sends his disciples out to go, go do what he says, he goes into their home worlds. I'm going to say it that way. And one of the things that just really strikes me um, uh, as the text, the things, the things that pops out from this and how Jesus... Uh, goes into the world with the good news of the gospel is he works through relationship and you hear people say things like that um, but it's it, it is so true i mean jesus operates through the relationships that you and i have that are god-given and so it's not rocket science it's not complex it's not difficult it's not, you know, how do I determine and figure out the call of God? Is he sending me? The answer, yes, every Christian. Uh, now, that can look differently for different Christians and different gifting, and we understand that. But he's d he does this throughout the relationships that he has given us. And it is just by no accident that Matthew points this out, and we see his very strategy laid out where he goes into the areas where they're from. Right after he has them go proclaim good news. So they go, and then he's going to go engage those relationships as well. Now, what we will see as well in the passage um, is some, something rather interesting, and it'll come up a, a, a couple times, and I'll, and I'll address it. But uh, verses uh, 1 through 4, in the very beginning, Jesus is addressing his, his twelve. In fact, the list is right there. And I'm just going to go and read it because that's who he particularly sends at first. Now, this, this certainly the, is applicable to, to all of us in his sending, okay? But, but look at what, what is said here. He, he's, he gives them the special authority, and they go do these really amazing things. 
and he called to him his 12. He called them his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. That, uh, and he goes on to name them all, starting with Peter, ending with Judas. Judas. Now, and, and that's, that's what we see here right, right in the beginning. So, look, he, he's going to give them special authority, and they're going to go and do these amazing things. They're going to go proclaim the good news of the gospel, and they're going to they're gonna heal disease and raise the dead. Some crazy, intense uh, stuff. Now, what we will see here this morning is that we will see um, an, an evangel- a personal evangelistic uh, uh, strategy if we understand some, a few key teachings from here. So we see the sending, and we're going we're, we're gonna to see that as we look at this, okay? So let's, let's look into this. So number one, one of the first teachings that we need to know I- is this, um, that you need to know when to go. And that might seem like an odd thing at first, and you might think I'm saying, hey, you need, you need to know because Jesus is sending. You need to know when to go to people. But that, that is not what I mean, and that is actually not what the passage means when, when we look at it, engage it. You actually need to know when to retreat from certain mission fields, from certain evangelistic opportunities that, that God has given you. There's a time to actually withdraw. There's a time to actually leave. You need to know when to go. And you're probably not used to hearing that, but it's actually something that Jesus talks about. You know, there, there's, a season, there's a time to proclaim the good news of the gospel and a time to, to, to stop and uh, wash your hands, so to speak, of this person that you're trying to evangelize. Now listen to the story, and then I'll, I'm going to explain it. Starting in chapter, in chapter 10, verse 5, it says this. These 12... Jesus sent out, instructing them. See that? Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. That's a little odd at first. It raises a question. Don't go to the world. Don't go to Gentiles. Just go to who? Just to Jewish people? But go, rather, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is the first people that he sends his apostles to. Now, now, the answer to that is that this is the first, it's just simply that Je- this is the first group that Jesus sends that he goes to. One of his primary missions is, ends up being this, this ethnic Israel he goes to, and he's, he's born in Bethlehem. He's, he's among, these, are, these are Jewish people, and he's sending them to those, to, to, to Jewish, to the lost sheep of Israel first. Now, what we will see is that they will reject him, but he goes to them first, all right? And so, but, and he doesn't send them out to the world. That's actually not addressed till, till later. But Jesus, he, he's, that, there's a mixture of that going on as you read through the Gospel of Matthew. He's engaging people that are not ethnically Israel, but he starts with them. He's engaging Gentiles, and it's blowing everyone's mind and freaking them out. And then when we get to chapter 28, Jesus says, all authority has been given unto me. Go to, like, everybody. Okay, so he starts out by sending them to these particular people. And he says, proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You receive without paying, give without paying, without pay, excuse me. Acquire no gold, nor silver, nor copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, 
nor two tunics, uh, nor sandals, nor a staff for the laborer deserves his food. And uh, he's saying, hey, go, go lean and mean, like there's, there's, there's haste, like go, go now. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more uh, bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for the town. There's a number of questions that might come up. Whole question of like, worthy? What does it mean to be worthy? Like, I thought, like, work salvation was, like, not what we believe, not what we teach, not what the Bible teaches. And, and most certainly Matthew's not saying that, and that's not what Jesus is saying. He's simply saying those that actually receive this message will bring you into their hospitality, into their home, and be willing to hear the good news. If they will not listen, they are not worthy. If they will, they are, they are worthy. And then there's the question of this peace. What is this peace? Well, it's simply the, 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 the peace of the gospel that they're bringing to them to, to, be, to hear. And, and if they don't want to hear it, then take your peace back and, and leave. Now, um, we, uh, there, there's kind of an odd thing that happens here, and you don't see it a lot in the scriptures, but this the whole issue of shaking off the dust. Now, now look, it's helpful, we can understand this if we understand the context of which he's going into. He's primarily sending them to a Jewish context, and they have some very vivid imagery of what that looks like and what that means to shake off the dust. So I'm first I just want to address that, and then I'll tell you a little bit about what it is with what we know. If someone comes up to you, hand ex- extended, with a smile on their face, in our context, it does not typically mean I'm here to kill you. It means it's, a, it's more of a greeting. It's more an acceptance, whether handshaking is in or out or not. But for the most part, we just know intuitively what that is. And Jesus is going to send them to go do something that is rather intuitive for the people that he's addressing. If they are, so so it, it, it doesn't come up a lot. We, we see it come up in the book of Isaiah, and you can look it up later because I think it's an interesting and intriguing but sometimes uh, shaking off the dust has something to do uh, with lament. You know, people uh, historically would put dust on themselves in lament, and uh, dust was certainly was, was dirty, and uh, you would shake it off to have no part of it. And it typically, for a Jewish context, meant I w- I'm, I'm proclaiming your unacceptance to receive what is right, and they shake off the de- dust. A, Ju- uh, a pious Jewish person would shake off the dust from a Gentile city for example, say, I, I want nothing to do with Gomorrah, with Sodom. And here he is telling them to do that to these people who are ethnically Jewish. They know exactly what it means. You're saying, you're proclaiming judgment on us, that we are in the wrong, and they're saying, yes, we are. The other place we see it is when, when actually Paul the Apostle and some others actually do exa- exactly what Jesus says to do when they get uh, chased out of a city. And you can look it up in the book of Acts, but Paul gets chased out of the city plenty of times. Unfortunately, sometimes he does not get chased out. He gets a beat down and dragged through the city or out of the city. But on occasion, he's actually chased out of the city and has to leave. And when they leave, they're rejoicing that they were worthy 
um, to do, to bring this good news and to be persecuted, and they shake off the dust. And so what he's telling them to do is to say, hey, hey, look, you know, you're, you're not worthy. And so what, what we need to understand here as we're looking at this is that there is a time that Jesus gives us when to go or to stop our evangelistic work with a person. Now, everything in me, you want to keep going and trying. Um, you, you do your best. You plead with God. You pray. But there comes a point when someone has rejected the gospel uh, to the point where they're saying, we do not want it. We want nothing to do with your peace. And it's okay. And your conscience is clear to remove that peace. And you, and you go. Now, that might not be going on in your life, but I want to I give you an example of where it looks like, because we're a pretty polite culture and society. People don't necessarily rage um, at you trying to proclaim the gospel in every one of our settings, but sometimes, and some of you have experienced settings in which that is true. Now, there are cultures and cities uh, and countries where if we're engaging people with the gospel, we, it might be extremely clear that it, you and your message is not wanted. Now, I could tell you one that's true for us, like as a church, and true for me personally. There was a guy I proclaimed the truth of the gospel to, and he came to our church. This was like miles ago. Some of you know the story. Some of you have no idea who I'm talking about. It's okay. It doesn't matter. He doesn't believe in Jesus. He's rejected him. But he came, and he heard, and he said, no, I believe this. I want this. I had coffee a couple times. I was inviting him to, to church to hear preaching, and and then after, you know, I guess, you know, some, someone else was preaching and did a great job, and then... Uh, um, I get a lot of text messages from this dude using the sixth letter of the alphabet. You can look that up later. If you don't know, if you, don't worry. Uh, the sixth letter of the alphabet repeatedly um, and, and just enraged, I want nothing to do with this Jesus that you guys are proclaiming. Now, do I keep going after him? Do I pray for him? Pray for him. But here's the thing, though. Jesus actually is giving us um, a way out. And often we don't always consider that. But it's true. It's okay to say, okay, I, I'm, I'm thinking, take the peace back. You, you got, this, this is a time when to go. And in a sense, shake off the dust. Now, that is not always the case, right? There are times when um, someone is willing to hear a bit, and you may or may not get very far with uh, the gospel with that person. And it doesn't mean you're leaving. There's more opportunity. But the, I, you need to know, as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple, that it is okay to actually stop that conversation with someone. And if you haven't experienced that time, it's just because someone hasn't pushed back hard enough. And you haven't seen that sixth letter of the alphabet in many of the words that come to you you as it relates to the sharing or proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Now let's assume, I, I think there's something that we all need to hear as we even talk about this. We need to assume that you have actually shared the gospel in a, in a kind and in a gentle and in a fair way, proclaiming truth, saying what the gospel is appropriately, because sharing the gospel isn't just walking up to someone very awkwardly and saying, hey, Jesus, you know, died on the cross, raised from the dead, you want or you don't, you decide now. You know, like something weird like that, like that's not going to be very helpful with that particular person. 
or just literally hitting someone over the head with your Bible, like that's not going to be, that's going to bring on per, pers unwanted persecution and probably deserved persecution on some level. But, so, but, but know this, you need to know that, there, um, that, that it's okay to, to let your peace return to you, but there are ways in which um, you, that we could proclaim our peace, the peace of the gospel that would not be helpful, and you need to just be aware of that as well. Number two, you need to know, that we need to know, uh, if we look based on the teachings of Jesus, of, uh, that the f we need to know that, um, that it's dangerous. We need to know that it's dangerous. Uh, in the next movement, in the next teaching, uh, it says this, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Okay? Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Sheep are not known for being super tough. They're not known for being super smart. Um, they're not known for having skin like rhinoceroses. You know, like when Jesus says that, he's saying they are in a very dangerous situation because wolves eat sheep with no problem. So this is, uh, we need to know that it's dangerous, but we also, we need to know some instruction that comes along with this. And he says it right in the beginning, but it's also going to, it's going to make sense as he addresses the danger of the mission. He says, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And we will return to that, but that is super important. And I'm just going to tell you right now, it's super difficult. Because everything in us, or in me at least, maybe not you, wants to be a sheep that can bite the throat out of a wolf. I mean, right, if we're being honest. When someone mistreats us and harms us, we don't want to uh, be an innocent as a dove in those situations. We want to be as innocent as a, as a, a, a dove, as a biting sheep that can like rip out the, the throat of a wolf or something like that. It, but doesn't it, it doesn't exist though. Beware of men, he says, for they will deliver you over to course and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you uh, in that very hour. For it is not you who will speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brothers will deliver brother, oh, brother will deliver brother over to death. Family members will betray, right? And father his child. It's very serious. It's very horrific. Father, his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be um, hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, check this out, uh, fight? No. Uh, take up swords? No. Uh, you know, hit people with a Bible? Nope. Flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you uh, excuse me, truly, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. That's a really interesting phrase. Maybe it doesn't feel like it at first. But this is actually one of the most, one of the most difficult phrases in the New Testament, just so you know. 
And so I, I wanted to offer some insight on this, and I'll let you go wrestle with it. Um, but um, you, you, one of the ways, one of the helpful ways that we can understand what's kind of going on with until, until this whole issue of when the Son of Man comes, you see, the first thought that might come to your mind is something like, that must be when Jesus returns much later. Probably the first inclination. But is that what Matthew is saying here? Possibly. But I, I want to offer an interpretation that might be helpful in understanding uh, as it relates to the very particular context in which Jesus was speaking. You see, he's sending them uh, not to the Gentiles at this point. That's not till Matthew 28, right? He is sending them to the lost sheep of Israel. And then he says, he says, hey, look, hey, look, for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel for over 2,000 years until the Son of Man comes. That's not what he says, right? Like, th- doesn't it seem reasonable that it, this would happen um, pretty fast? Like, there's going to be something that happens. Jesus, there's some sort of coming of Jesus. What is, it, what is he talking about? Um, and so, so he, now, now I'm, not, I'm not denying the fact that Jesus will return. Jesus will return, brothers and sisters. It's a great hope that we have. But what I'm saying, I'm asking is, what does he mean here in this particular book, in this particular setting right here, as he sends the disciples out? Now, this coming language, I'm going to have you, all you theologues and Bible students look it up later because it takes too much time to totally go do a deep dive. But you can read the book of Daniel. This kind of language comes from the book of Daniel. Right around 7, 8, 9, right around there. You look it up. It's not hard to find. Um, you will see that, he, that Daniel has this vision for um, the Son of Man coming before the Father and coming. And it's not to earth. That's not the idea of Daniel right there in that particular setting. It is coming and getting, receiving this authority and power and sovereign rule over the nation. Okay. And so he's, he's, he's getting that authority. And then what do we see in chapter 28? All authority has, when he comes, after he's been crucified, he's, he's, he's risen and he's come before the disciples and he's about to, to, to like fly up. He's about to leave and he, he says, all authority has been given to me. Right? That's what he says. Um, and so he's, what he's addressing here um, is, is, is something like, like that, <laughs> something like that. It, so then he says, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household. In other words, what Jesus is saying, hey, like, get on this task. Um, um, I will be given authority. You won't be done going through the, the, the hoods of, of Israel, the lost sheep, before I come in authority and power. And hey, look, they're going to do horrific things to you. Family members are going to betray each other. They're going to stand before governors. But don't worry. I will give you what you need to say. Do not be anxious about that. It's coming. Now, it certainly was going to happen to them, and it most certainly can happen to us. And so what Jesus instructs with this fact is he says in the very beginning of his teaching, be wise as serpents. Be careful of men. We don't experience that too often right now. But those of you that, those of us that have lived a little bit of life have been, possibly been betrayed before. Um, teenagers, it's every single week. You know, it's every minute on social media. I don't know. But, for, but we've lived enough life 
to have been betrayed before, to experience the hardship of that. Um, and what he's saying is, hey, you're going to experience that as it relates to your Christian faith and your witness as I send you out because you're going out in the midst of wolves. And his instruction is, be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. This is what Jesus is saying. So not only is Jesus saying, hey, you need to know when to go. Number two, you need to know this is really dangerous, brothers and sisters. There's a teaching on this to be innocent as doves. And I told you earlier, man, I, I want to be like the, the roided out sheep that like, like punches the bad wolf. Um, and the, maybe that's you too. And so uh, retaliation and, and bringing harm to those that harm you um, uh, might be a temptation for you and me. Uh, like the one who cut the ear off of the person that came to arrest Jesus and Jesus heals the ear and says, no, 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 no. That is not the way we evangelize the world. Come receive Jesus. Whack off your ear. Because that works every time. That's a sure way for them to reject the message of peace. So how do we do that? What do we do when we're engaged with that? By the way, hey, just because we have a teacher in school say, hey, look, you know what? Like you, you're saying man, a, a lot about your Christian faith. Doesn't necessarily mean we're being persecuted in those moments. It could mean, hey, this is math class. So I just want to know what two and two is. That's all I want to know right now. I don't want to know how it relates to the glory of God, but maybe you're right. I don't know. Like, but just because someone maybe pushes back on us a little bit in a school setting, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're trying to persecute us. It can, but it doesn't always mean that that's the case. So we can offer some grace and kindness in the midst of that. Just because we lose our job um, doesn't mean that we are being persecuted for our faith. Maybe we deserve to lose our job because we weren't doing a very good job. Because that's sometimes the case, and sometimes we might lose our job or get pushed back because, um, because we are being persecuted, and that, that's true as well. But Jesus says to be innocent as doves, and we can see this is what Jesus calls us to. So in our lives, in our workplace, in our households, among those that do not know Jesus, we are to, to be as, 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 as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Doves do not hit people with hammers, or retaliate in any way. Number three, we need to know the teaching that we need to know as it relates to being sent out uh, in the midst of understanding of the strategy that God has given us. Not only do we need to know when to go, we need to know that it's dangerous. Number three, we need to know that Jesus has got you. We need to know that Jesus has my back. He's got you, and he will not let you go. He loves you. You are more valuable than than all the other things that we think are valuable. Now look, there comes a, a warning from the next teaching, but also notice the love of Jesus. Notice that he has got you. Listen to the words of Scripture. Listen to what it says in verse 26. So have no fear of them, is what Jesus says. For nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. You hear that? Jesus says, do not fear those that can kill the body. I got to tell you, I got to confess, it's kind of scary knowing someone could kill my body. I like my body. I mean, you don't. I do. I want to live. That's why I like my body. And they can harm my body, but cannot kill my soul. 
And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, instead of fearing them, fear, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He's talking about God. And then look at the love. Look at the tenderness. Yes, don't, there's no need to fear them. But God has all power and authority to judge. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? In other words, they're really cheap. And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Yeah, none of them, none of them, they're, they're a cheap little bird, you know, like, and the God, the father knows every single one of them that hits the ground dead. Every one of them. And then he says this, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Jesus, God knows the details of your physical being, your spiritual makeup, every part of you, the strengths, the weaknesses, everything about you and me, he knows intimately. Our hairs are numbered. But even the hairs are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. It's really important, this whole acknowledging Jesus before men. It's really important, this whole issue of Jesus sending his disciples, every one of us, out. It's, it's important to understand that uh, we don't have to fear those that can harm us in the midst of the strategy in which he sends us out. He sends out his, right, his apostles, these, these early ones. He sends them out, right? Dangerous territory. He gives them a backup plan. Don't worry. Hey, look, if they, they beat you up in one city, just go to the next. It's okay. Hey, look, you know, they won't receive your peace. You know, just shake off the dust. Move on. Well, they're not going to like that when you shake off the dust. He's like, yeah, no, they're not. Then they're going to persecute you. But you still leave. And you know what? Be innocent. Be innocent. Don't, harm, don't bring harm on them. Don't fear them. Fear God. But know this, you are so much more important than you realize. You know, I, I love you. I know every detail about you. That God has you. That God knows you. We need to know the teaching of Jesus. Know when to go. Know, know that it's dangerous. Of course, we know that. Know that he has got you. Know that he loves you. And maybe you don't hear that enough. Maybe you grew up and you never heard that in your household. And I, I it makes perfect sense for someone that has never heard I love you in your household to, to not even know what that means necessarily or to at least struggle with what that means or to struggle with someone else loving me. But God in his word actually says it. You are more important than, than sparrows, at least three of them. He doesn't say that, many of them. And lastly, we need to know our loves. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father and the daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law and, person, uh, and a person's enemy will be those of his own household. That's how dangerous the gospel is. It's life-giving. It changes people's hearts, but it magnifies those that hate Jesus. And if they hate Jesus, they're going to hate you. 
and a person's enemy will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We need to know our loves. We need to know the things that um, vie for our hearts, the things that stand between us and loving Jesus more. And you know what? Look, I'm a parent. I know one of, the, one, of the, one of the easiest things to love more than God, right? I'll say that again. One of the easiest things to love more than God is our own children or perhaps our spouse or perhaps the idea of a spouse. Um, and, and I'll demonstrate it. And I, I want to follow, I think the way to demonstrate it is just through following the dollars. It's through following the money. Now, there's a lot of research that we can do out there. I mean, you literally can Google things. Say, hey, hey, like, how much do Americans spend on whatever? I don't know, like athletics for their kids. It's an interesting thing to look up. Or how, how, how much is, you know, how much do we spend on education? Like, all of us lament it, right? It can be anywhere from, like, super, you know, almost said super cheap. But like, that's not true either, right? Kind of cheap, you know. I don't know, a few grand a year, I guess. It's a lot of money, right? Um, but uh, it's all the way to 30, 40, 60, uh, and up, whatever, um, a year, <laughs> like incredible boatloads of money. And um, if, you, if you were to you look up what people spend on, on athletics in our country, I can't remember the percentages, but you will find that uh, within athletics for um, our people, uh, our context, they could spend as much as 12 grand a year for young kids, young children, by the way, 12 grand a year. Now, I realize that's kind of, it kind of relative, depends where you're going. It's like, pro, you know, uh, there's a lot of, um, but it, it is just staggering. Now, I say that, not, uh, hey, look, I, I think sports are great, and you know what? Uh, like, I'm not going to make a decision on how you spend your dollars related to that. I, 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 will ask, I will say, hey, hey, work through your conscience and, and those things. What I'm saying is look, man, the, the amount of money uh, as a percentage for the people that live in our country as it relates to, to their athletics is, is pretty amazing, pretty, pretty big as it, and, and as it relates to other things in their lives. So it's a big amount. That being said, what I have seen people devote their lives to the pursuit of an athletic sport for their kid, for their child, and they have banked everything. I think we've all seen that. And then senior year, one little turn, boom, knees out, scholarship, everything else, it's just done. And the person's life doesn't always have to be this way, but sometimes it is just obliterated. And we really see in those moments who our God is. Was our God Jesus? Or was our God that sport? And I've told you before, hey, look, I've had my own, one of the big gods of my life, unfortunately, one of the big gods of my life was a sport. And I know that because when I injured myself, you know, <laughs> tears, tears, tears. Like, I mean, I, there's something to loss, right? We know, we, like, loss is hard, but, like, is it my everything and my all over Jesus? Or is it like, you know, this was important to me. It, it hurts, but, you know, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than this sport. And if the answer is no, Jesus isn't better, behold your God. We need to know our loves and then we need to address those loves of the heart 
whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, Jesus said. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. I'm not saying you, you, you need to love your neighbor. You need to most certainly provide for your family. This doesn't mean don't provide for your family and don't care for them and don't love them. And, you know, if you want to do sports, like, dude, enjoy sports. I mean, the Bible says, look, if you are not going to provide for your family, like the basics, you know, food, clothing, like shelter, like you're worse than an unbeliever, Paul said. But if you love all these things more than Jesus, Jesus says, you are not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We need to know our love. So number one, the way we can understand and our, the personal evangelistic strategy that God has given us is through a few of these teachings. Knowing when to go, knowing that it's dangerous, knowing that he's got you, and knowing our loves. Because if we love something more than Jesus, we will most certainly not risk our anything for proclaiming the gospel among others. If we are afraid that we might get our hurt, feelings hurt over love for Jesus, we will not proclaim it. I'm not saying we won't struggle with things like that. You know what? It's okay to be afraid. Like, fear is a normal thing that happens in, in, for people. And, but, but, you know, but Jesus is more, so we overcome our fears to share the gospel with those that we love, and even those that we don't love so much. Let's pray.